and I crumpled to the cold marble floor. I can still remember it like it was yesterday. There were no more tears. I couldn't even cry. I was so devastated. I was numb. And I didn't have enough wherewithal to say to my staff, okay, I'm going to give up this lease. Find me a cabin in the middle of nowhere. I need to have um, Thursday through Sundays, I'll do my nervous breakdowns. You know, Monday through Wednesday, I'll work. Like, I'll try to make this like, we're going to keep the business going, but I need to, I need help. And I need nature and I need time and I need balance. everybody. Super quick note before this episode, I just wanted to say thank you to all of my patrons. We had a really great call this past week and it just feels really good to be connected to you all in community. So thank you for that. If you are interested in joining our Patreon, you can go to Dear Men Podcast Patreon, just Google it and it'll come right up. And if you join at a $10 a month or more level, then you'll get access to those live Q and A's with me uh, on a monthly basis. And, um, and it's almost like a mini men's group too. So it's a sort of a, a, a double, double up. So, um, yeah, just, it was a really great call and I, I was really touched by, by our call and everything. And I just, yeah, feeling, um, really grateful for all of you and all of you that listen and all of you that write in and it's just, yeah, your kindness means the world. So thank you. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. I am very excited to have Alana Pratt with me today. Um, She is a global media personality and go-to authority for those ready to heal from heartbreak, live unapologetically, and attract a soul-shaking relationship. I love that soul-shaking relationship. Um, Yeah, and she works with both individuals and couples, and we're going to be talking about conscious relationship traps. (laughs) So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Oh, it's great to be here, Melanie. Thanks for having me. And at some point, we'll figure out how we know each other. So maybe doing this conversation. Yes, we're pretty sure we know each other and have mutual friends, but we haven't figured out the link. So if you are the link, get in (laughs) touch. You might be listening to this very recording. Um, Yeah, so you work with lots of different kinds of people, and you've been working with people for a long time around intimacy, sex, love, relationships which means that you see broader patterns. You see kind of what lots of people are describing and sort of the common things that happen. Um, And you talk a lot about blind spots. I imagine that'll be part of the conversation. So yeah, I'm curious if um, before we get into the, the content, if you could just share a little about how you got to where you are. How did you get to doing the work that you do in the world? I was a hot mess, I guess you could say. <laughs> and I had, I'm from Canada. I'd moved to LA to be a dancer and a model, failed, didn't have a visa, moved to Japan, succeeded, model, dancer, you know, English teacher, you you name it. And, and then from there met husband number one, tall, dark, and handsome, moved to New York, went to Columbia, Um, while I was getting my art history degree, working at CNN and Entertainment Tonight, having a blast. 
but really shutting down that full self-expression woman that I had met when I met my husband then in Japan. He was a managing director of a financial firm and, you know, tall, dark and handsome, the whole thing. But when I got back to the States, he said, are you going to wear that? I said, I always wear this. And he goes, well, well, now you're my fiance. Now you're going to meet my parents. And I went right into a, a blind spot, an unhealed daddy wound. You know, don't get the man upset. And so my, you know, hoops and Balinese sarongs turned into Burberry and a bob. And, and I played, you know, the Wall Street wife. And I lost myself. And I did my best to be people pleaser PhD, but it didn't work. And that marriage ended. Fast forward to the second uh, husband that I've had. It was right when my mom got cancer. And I thought, you know, I don't think I consciously thought this, but at the time it was my closed heart met another closed heart. A man is a plan. A man and a baby is a plan. My sister had remarried. My dad had remarried. There was no one in my world. So I scampered to find the first, you know, person uh, from a closed heart. Mom died. And oh my God, I realized yet again, I had made a mistake and my my closed heart attracted someone who was very humiliated that I very quickly divorced him after a year. We had a child very quickly and uh, he sought revenge as closed hearts can. And that was a 12 year custody battle where in the end I lost the house, the savings, quarter of a million dollars of legal debt. And when my son said, I know what it's going to take to stop this. I'm going to live with dad. And he was, he had never known a life without court. And I said, okay, I will take the high road. And that was the hardest thing I'd ever done, but it stopped court and he had peace. And to this day, I haven't spoken to him for three years and it's hard. I will say it's hard. And yet I still believe I've made the highest choice to, to not continue the fight. Somebody has to let go of their side of the tug of war. And when my son is an adult and he's ready, I know he'll return and he's got his own lessons. And I know I did my best when I was with him. And, and so the blind spot there was that, well, obviously a, a man or a woman is not a plan and that there's a gift in every crisis, every loss, every difficulty. And so I, uh, I'm not a victim about this. I'm not going to blame my son. I'm not going to woe is me. I'm going to use this time. I believe the universe is on our side all the time. And so, okay, what's the gift in this? What do you want me to mother or birth next? And so I've very much been focused on my business, on my clients, on an upcoming docu-series, my podcast, and I do my best to love the shit out of humanity while, while I wait for him to return. Um, and so through all this learning about intimacy, the, the through line where I was not a master yet was going inside. I, when I um, was just running a million miles a moment, trying to be good enough, look good, and definitely be safe. And when I slowed down to feel this inner Alana, I didn't like who I found Melanie. She was insecure. She was humiliated by two divorces. She was humiliated by her choices in motherhood. A lot of people had a lot of points of view about that. And so I realized, okay, the most important building block of self-realization I can accomplish 
is an intimate relationship with myself. It's so easy to love the woman who's written six books and interviewed Whoopi Goldberg and all the things, all the accolades. It's really easy to love that part of me. Can I learn to love without condition, unconditional love, the part of me who I'm deeply ashamed about? And I can't. And I have. And it's still a process. And so this intimate relationship with myself has been the most nourishing experience of my life where I hope by the end of this interview, you like me, but I don't give a shit. Like I, and I, I hope there's tons of millions of dollars in the bank account. And if there isn't, I'm still good enough. My worth is not my accomplishments. And, and I hope I make an impact and change lives. But if it's only just my own soul that I saved, if it's just one person on this, who listens to this podcast, who has a little more self tenderness, or a little more spring in their step, or they finally put down that burden, I did my job. And so it's really been a beautiful path of humility and vulnerability. But the other side of that is unapologetic, delicious living, because I'm no longer, to the best of my ability, living for approval or safety. I'm living to love fully and live my truth fully. And at the end of the day, can I rest my head knowing that I didn't hide that I gave it my best. And uh, I love, I love what I've created. Yeah. I know that a lot of people listening are going to have the question, how did you do that? (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot of, I, I think one of the places that I felt you the most was when I was going a million miles a moment and just that endless driven, uh, sort of, success oriented, um, just driving, 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 trying, 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 doing, doing, doing. It feels like that pace is what our culture teaches us we are supposed to do or be. And it is seductive and it is a trap. And I know we're going to get to the, the three traps, but can you say a little bit about how you actually, how you actually did that? Did you, did you have mentors? Did you have help? Did you what did you do to, to get, I know that's a big question, but just yeah. how did you do that actual part of slowing down, feeling the feels, loving the, the parts that didn't feel maybe deserving? Yeah. I have always had coaches ever since I first got on this personal growth path 20 years ago, 22 years ago, I've always had a coach, several coaches. And I always will, will, because I can't see my blind spot. I could see yours. I can see my clients, but hell if I can see mine. So I refuse to ever take anybody on as a client if I don't have somebody that's got my back as well. So yes, I always grow. I always get the next certification. I've signed up. My next certification is in psychedelic somatic integration coming up in October. I've had a last year of my life doing a lot of deep, deep, deep work. Um, so I'm, I'm a perpetual student. But I'd say the main tipping point that supported this shift that you're referring to was when my son came that day when he was 13 and said, I know what I'm doing and I'm going to live with dad. And I crumpled to the cold marble floor. I can still remember it like it was yesterday. There were no more tears. I couldn't even cry. I was so devastated. I was numb. And I didn't have enough wherewithal to say to my staff, okay, I'm going to give up this lease. Find me a cabin in the middle of nowhere. I need to have Um, Thursday through Sundays, I'll do my nervous breakdowns, you know, Monday through Wednesday, I'll work like, I'll try to make this like, we're going to keep the business going, but I need to, I need help. 
and I need nature and I need time and I need balance. And so I went out into, um, outside of Palm Springs, actually up in the mountains, this A-frame cabin where I could see nothing but nature left to right. And I remember being out on that balcony day after day, committed to learning to connect with and not bash the shit out of myself. And I wrote down a list of everything I was afraid of, um, things like he may never call again. I may never see him again, my son. I may uh, lose all my clients because they think I'm batshit crazy and I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I might never find the love of my life. I like I just wrote them all down. And it was an ugly list. I might die alone. I mean, everything. And then at the beginning of the sentence, I put, even though everybody might opt out of Instagram or whatever they call it, I love and accept myself. I love and accept myself. I mean, I wasn't proud of myself. I wasn't super confident, but I refused to close my heart to myself. And as I went down this list over and over and over, and I didn't just say it because we need thought, emotion, we need body sensation. We need um, like our heart. We need all these different aspects to really fully integrate um, a new reality. And so image, thought, body sensation, emotion, I just went through and through and through, even though he may never call again. I love and accept myself over and over and over. Sometimes I would dance it. Sometimes I would cry my face off. Sometimes it would be very meditative. But one day something happened that happened to me when I was 20 years old, backpacking through Thailand, where the floor fell out and there was no gravity. And I was one with everything. I'd call it a direct experience with our true nature. It only had happened a couple of times in my life, but it happened there again on that balcony. And I felt a sense of, non-judgment, oneness with all. It wasn't that I, it was beyond trust. It was beyond faith. It was just complete oneness where I'm like, okay, I'm onto something. I think I've touched home. I've touched that little you inside and I'm actually looking her in the eyes and I'm not going to turn away from her, nor am I going to fix her. And I think this is a really big piece that allowed for that shift for me is I went and I looked at her and she was in the back corner of my heart. Her back was to me. She was fully embarrassed and I had been abusing her and criticizing her or then abandoning her. She had every right to never talk to me, but she turned around and she said, would you love me just like this? Even if I never changed. And up until then it was like, oh no, you need to change so we can get the guy, get the money, get the business. We got to get, got to get. I'm like, oh, that's the ticket unconditional love, even if you never changed. And that was my practice. I just surrendered. Okay. I give you and I in this dark cavern of my heart forever. Even if you never change, I will keep my heart open to you. I will stop hitting you with a two by four. I love you as you are. I'm 53. And I still, it brings me to tears remembering that moment because that's what it's all about. And when I really loved my wobbly self As much as I loved my triumphant self, it was sort of like the two of them collapsed into the present moment. I was able to look people in the eye. I was able to speak the truth, even if it was hard. I was willing to take risks. I felt good enough. (laughs) I felt enough. I felt beautiful as I am. I just started to be more free and clear and let go of what I used to only do to try to get something. And if it really didn't resonate, that's okay. Thank you, but no thank you. I was willing to be rejected because I refused to reject myself. And that is 
a moment, a practice that everyone listening can write those sentences down and remember to feel it. Remember to have the images of little you. Remember to let the body sensations through. Learn to feel and not run away from yourself. And that begins a whole new reality. Yeah. One of the things that really caught my attention was um, the not fixing part. And I think that's something that we think we're doing with ourselves, but really, I I just, I really liked that image of my wobbly self and my triumphant self. And again, it feels like our culture doesn't create a lot of space for our wobbly selves. And I think that's true for all of us and especially for men, actually, that they're not really allowed to be unsure or sad or, um, yeah, just uncertain or just um, soft. And I don't mean soft in the way that our culture means that. I mean, genuine softness, which is just receptive and allowing. And there's something... um, sacred about what you described of, you know, you got yourself into nature and you did this practice. So it wasn't just, I got myself into nature and read a bunch of books. It was, I got myself into nature and I wrote down all of these things. And I, I sort of, you sort of supported yourself in integrating some of those into yourself in a pretty profound way. And I, I want to kind of point something out, which is mantras are complicated, right? Because to your point, if you're just reading something and you don't believe it, it's not going to penetrate your body mind. But there is something powerful and there is a reason they have been around for millennia, which is that when you do bring other resources to them, like you said, dancing with it or bringing breath or just bringing more energy and repeating it, There is something that happens. I really do believe that. I've been doing more research on this and the subconscious and the power of suggestion and all of that. The messages that we do actually repeat to ourselves with conscious attention over and over and over, they do get in. So if you're doing a mantra, you're like, that's not working. It might not be the right mantra, but it's not, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And so one thing that I've been working with with clients and wondering if you do this too is instead of saying, something like, I love myself unconditionally. If you're not there yet, I'm learning to love myself unconditionally. So creating a bridge to something can help if you're not there yet, but you're going there. I am learning to love myself unconditionally. If you can believe it enough that it gets in, then it's, then it's right for that moment. And then you can progress. But I think there's something deeply wise about what you described in that process of putting down all the worst stuff, right? And then working with that and saying, even if this happens, I'm still with myself. I'm still here. I'm not going to abandon that little part inside. And what you point to so beautifully when you say I'm learning to is it's a feeling. I've had the honor of leading a guided meditation for HeartMath at their annual conference and where I learned what I intuited but I, I love it when a scientist can tell me I'm, I'm right, is that 80% of the information goes from our heart, our body, to our mind, but only 20% goes from our mind down to our body. 
So feeling is not just a little bit more. It's a hell of a lot more important than just the thinking. And this is a cum laude grad of an Ivy League school. Like I was really all on my brain, but the dancer in me since five years old, she's actually the one who has led the way into my body, into my sensations, the ability to burn and sit in the fire, which I think men can do a great job at. They're so brave. They're so courageous. And yet they often think of it just as, you know, burn like the muscles strength. No, it's your heart strength. It's la cour, the heart. It's if you can open your heart and burn and sit in that fire and feel the discomfort, feel through the shame, feel through the fear, feel through the anger, keep your heart open. Because if you keep your heart open, anger will turn into fierce love of self, of purpose, of mission, of life. And so if we can feel, as you were saying, you know, I love myself unconditionally. And if it's bullshit, great, I'm learning to. But what does it feel like to learn to? I mean, that's resilience. That's perseverance. You can have, oh, that can feel really good inside your bones, inside your blood, inside your heart. And that will help your overall being integrate and process so much more quickly if you're willing to feel. And I say to a lot of my female clients or couples that I work with that be that safe place for him to come home after he lost the battle. He didn't lose the war. He lost the battle today and be that queen, that soft breast that he can lay upon and be vulnerable and don't fix him and just listen and just honor, let him have his feelings. And, and a lot of the female clients who have not yet learned, and we might start to move into our common traps here, because one of the common traps is he's the source of my safety. He's the source of my happiness. And of course, this goes vice versa, guys, uh, to, to the woman as well. And for me, my first two marriages were soulmate relationships. And so I wasn't quite healed and he wasn't quite healed and I completed him and he completed me and he was the source of money. And I was the source of him looking good with eye candy, eye candy on his arm. Like we, we were completing each other. We weren't two whole beings. And when you do that, you're very controlling to the other person. You don't do your own work to become whole and evolved. And so you don't get to be this woman, as I go back to the example before. So he lost the battle today. He got fired or he didn't make the promotion. If he is the source of your safety, you're going to make him wrong for that. You're going to fix him and emasculate him and say, get back out there and get another job or, but you're the source of our happiness. And what are the kids going to say? And, and of course, that's just going to send him into his emasculated caves and then he'll shut his heart down and then he'll stay at work longer and then she'll complain more. And it's a, it's a vicious, vicious cycle. However, if we can own, go from soulmate to what, Dr. Mark Gaffney and Dr. Barbara Marks Hubbard before she passed, um, let me know about a whole mate relationship, or I like to even call it a heart mate relationship. That's where we each take full ownership of our own wounds. And the other ones, it's not the other one's job to make us happy or make us safe or anything. That's gravy if they do, but it's our own job to come to the relationship, not perfect because we're ever evolving, but to come whole where I will not blame you. And I will take ownership of my own stuff. And we will have code words if either of us are getting triggered so that we take a time out and we don't go to that place of contempt or criticism or blame. But the cool thing is when you have a couple that does that, he can come home on a rough day and she doesn't need him to be any different to be home inside. Just like we go back to the, when I took that time out, even though I'm, she might say as the wife, I'm scared shitless about how the bills are going to be paid. I love and accept myself. 
And so she can have her own back and she can be that safe space for him to come home or vice versa. When she's emotional and she's losing her shit, she's not the source of his calmness. He is. She's not the source of his grounded presence. He is. And so she can be however she needs to be. And he doesn't need to go anywhere. He's the banks of the river because he's not determining his well-being based on her behavior. Those are two whole people. Now that's way the hell easier said than done. Um, And so, but this is very much a tenant of a true conscious relationship is where we're each willing to be whole so we can be whole mates. And then here's the cool thing that happens. Back in the soulmate relationship, it's like half of a person, half of a person equals one person, right? You complete me. But in a whole whole mate relationship or heart mate relationship, it's not one plus one, it's two. It's one plus one equals infinity. Because here's this really cool thing that happens. When you're really whole and you're in a relationship with someone who is your homemate, they will awaken dormant evolutionary qualities in you that cannot be awakened by anyone else. And it's vice versa. And so you are literally more together. But here's the other thing, not just for each other, for humanity, for humanity. Your purpose is is ignited. You walk into a room, the whole room elevates from your energy for your children and who they'll be. You're, You're more, not just to complete each other, but you're more for humanity. And that's an, an evolution worth living. That's what makes the relationship fresh year after year because you keep evolving. You keep going, you're not who you were last year. You're more, you're better, you're different, you're more delicious. Oh my God, you call me on my shit more often. Damn you, love you, hate you, like whatever it's gonna look like, but you're more. And that to me, that's what I'm a stand for. That's who I'm calling in. That's who I literally take in my coaching practice, soulmates who are butting heads into whole mates or heart mates. And they're like, oh, I, I feel like we're on our honeymoon again, but we're these wise honeymooners because we're literally awakening the best in one another. Yeah, I'm curious if you can say a little bit about maybe a client that you've worked with or a couple client that you've worked with, because what does it actually sound like when they are when they're in this trap of making the other person their sense their source of safety? What does it look like and sound like? And how do you guide them out of that? And yeah, if you have an example, a concrete example of a couple that you can think of of what it was before that and then what it sort of became. Yeah, I'm thinking of one couple, Becca and Darren. Uh I met, he had heard me on a podcast. She had met me. I did a speech at an event. Um, and then they both came to me and said, okay, we both like you. Let's, let's, let's talk about this. And but he was very um resistant to doing Zoom sessions. He has only he only wanted to do things in person. And I've been doing Skype before it was Skype and now it's Zoom. Like I've been doing this work for 20 years. I completely know it works. Um, and that we are quantum entangled. It, there's there's nothing in the way of me doing great work. But I acknowledged that he had a real concern. So we met on Zoom. And the best I can say is he looked like the furniture. I couldn't see him. He wasn't there. He he hadn't he wasn't in his body. She was but he wasn't. And I was like, Oh, I get it now. You're not here. You're not in your body. Tell me your story. And he had been through foster care after foster care, after foster care. It was not safe to be in his body. And he was super smart and super reactive and scared the shit out of his wife. And that it was a perfect match of both of their wounds for him to go. Oh my God, the feminine could be safe 
He'd never had that before. And for her to say, oh my God, the masculine could be safe. She'd never had that before. So each of their wounds were butting up against each other. She was in total people, people pleaser mode, anything not to make him upset. And he was doing his best to control. As we said before, the mind is very small compared to the embodiment. It's like a, it's like an iceberg. It's like the tip of the iceberg. He was working so hard on that tip of the iceberg to be in control and to, and to his whole iceberg was full of unprocessed rage, unprocessed terror, unprocessed anything. It was all in there. So they started off. Normally, I don't do this. Normally, when I work with them, we do private sessions for a while for her, for him, couple, for her, for him, couple. And then about two, three months in, I do a VIP where we're together for for about three days. I said, let's start with the VIP because this isn't, we're not going to get anywhere unless you're in your body. And I was able to clear out a lot of demons. I was able to get him expressing and integrating very, very validated rage at what had gone down and literally come home to his little you, his little you in the back corner, who he had been highly criticizing, which had worked to survive, to stay safe, but sure as shit wasn't working. And it was now in the way of their marriage. And it was in the way of his next level of joy and ease and abundance and freedom of expression. And so for her to not feel the pricklies anymore, so she could stop putting her focus over on him and do her own work to resolve her body issues, to resolve her insecurities, to to get into her body and get into her queen. So over about a two-year period that they worked with me, they evolved, they made more money, they bought a sailboat, they sold their place to sail the world, they, you know, just thrived. And they saw each other not as the issue, the problem anymore, but as the catalyst to their greatest evolution that's only just begun. And so it was profoundly beautiful to watch them bravely do the work. By the end, when he was more embodied, I used to call him Buddha man, because he'd say very little, but what he said was profound. And she was so fully expressed. She started taking singing lessons and, and uh, her business flourished. It was, it was glorious. So it, it takes work. It takes humility. It takes consistency. It takes bravery. And it also takes a community. I have an inner circle where we meet every single week. And I do private work with them as well, whether they're singles or a couple. And there's something about coming together in a collective genius pool where you'll hear one person have an awakening and it'll trigger something in you. It's almost like that homemate, but in a community feel. And these homemate relationships, just to mention, they don't have to be just romantic. They can be work-related. You can have a business partner who wakes up the best in you. And, and so this occurs in some degree within our inner circle. So those components together created incredible results. I love that. Yeah, the that feels does feel like a profound shift to go from making my partner my source of safety to making myself or the earth or the greater the greater whole my source of safety and then I'm also with my partner. It's a it's a it's a mindset shift, a big shift and I appreciate that you yeah, you helped um ha- helped him process a lot of trauma. And I, what caught my attention in that story was also, she had so much of her attention on him and making sure that he was okay, that she was sort of avoiding her own work by doing that. But then once he was more stable, 
there was a, okay, there's stuff here too. And it needs to be addressed too. Cause I think that is a common pattern that I've heard from my men the other way around where they've attracted a woman with a lot of needs or a lot of chaos or a lot of uh, just swirling. And so all of their attention and focus is on trying to make sure she's okay, which is, which doesn't work, but also is a way of not doing their work. And because it is so seductive and it does pull a lot of attention and there really are crises. They're not made up crises. The crises are real. It's true. And there's a, there's a dynamic there. So that, that sense of, I am my source of safety and you are your source of safety. And then where do we go from there is is very different than I'm pissed at you because you're not being safe for me right now. You're not, I think I have fallen into this trap in relationship of like, you're not praising me enough. You're not giving me enough. You're not providing me enough for me to feel good. Why aren't you doing that? And, and, and it is a trap because then he's sort of like, I'm trying like, and you know, it, it doesn't go well versus you're not, you're not meant to be my source of safety. I'm I've, I've messed it up a little bit and I'm going to pull, not pull away from you, but pull back to myself and source up from the earth instead of from you and then see where we, where we are. I love this. I love this so much, Melanie. A lot of men, I believe, in our society are praised for accomplishments, praised for achievements. So it looks like an accomplishment if I save her, if I rescue her, right? And so the the bigger the mess, wow, that if I can save that mess, then I really accomplish something. But of course, it creates mayhem and it takes him away from, wait a minute, my worth is my worth. That's the end of the sentence. I no longer need to collapse my worth and my accomplishments. Those are two different categories. Accomplishments come and go. Achievements come and go. The size of our bank account comes and goes. The size of our biceps come and go, right? But our worth is our worth. End of story. End of sentence. And if we haven't, be a a man or a woman, if we haven't done that work, we will look to the relationship to, to, to save in order to be good enough in order to succeed, in order to win, in order to look good, in order, in order, right? And so I really like what you're saying there. And that um, sort of can even bring me into my next piece to talk about the next trap, um, to be enough sexually. You know, if I can give her this many orgasms, then I'm good enough. If I can keep an erection for 10 days straight, then I'm good. I'm, I'm exaggerating. But but really, there's so much pressure that society puts on men and and same with women, we need to be multi-orgasmic, et cetera. And men need to be able to internally ejaculate and we need to have a three hour. No. The clients I attract, sure, we all love sex, but what we're looking for more deeply is not the perfunctory genital body parts working. We're looking for heart connection. We're looking for deep soul, as you said earlier in my bio, soul shaking connection. And that includes a man's penis, but it is so much more. Women want to be penetrated in more ways than just their vagina. We want our heart penetrated, opened to the edges of the universe and know that you've got us and we can surrender into the cosmos. We want to be penetrated by your eyes that that see us, see our beauty, but also see our essence that also see our, our wobbly nature, to sense us. We want to be penetrated by your sense, your sense that something's off, that we're not, we're saying we're fine, but we're not. 
we want to be penetrated in so many of these ways. We want to be penetrated by your vision of what we are co-creating as a couple. Open me wider beyond what I could ever do on my own, but together we could do it. And so I encourage men, one of the traps of a conscious relationship, and sometimes it goes, okay, well, now we need to have like polyamory. We need to have like threesomes and we need to have every toy on the planet and we have to have more. And aside from, you have to have sex seven days a week. And, and that's great if that's your thing. That's I'm not saying that's like, I love sex. But what I ache for is a man's presence more than anything. I've had couples where I've been able to literally like orgasm, ejaculate just by a man looking at me with that level of presence because it creates that level of safety and that level of surrender and that level of giving open my body, mind, and spirit to this communion of body, mind, and spirit. And so if a man is not in his body, if a man is only thinking sex is his function, as opposed to his presence, if he's not literally sensing her body, sensing her every move, not taking it as a rejection if she says slower or faster and or bursts into tears or gets rageful or all of a sudden she's freaky horny one night or she just is in the fetal position and wants to be held. None of that is a reflection on his worth or his value as a sexual creature and to be open and to be in communication around these intimate moments. Tell me not just what turns you on. I have these wonderful um, conscious connection calls with my clients and they're, the format is dyads, which is basically one person asks the question, the other one answers, and the other person simply says, thank you. And our whole goal is to seek understanding, not agreement, not alignment, because there's no way that statistically or logically you're going to agree on everything. So we only seek understanding. And if anything, we say, tell me more. And so when we do these dyads, and maybe you're going for a walk, maybe you're naked in bed, maybe you're going for a drive, maybe you're out for dinner, and you just simply begin the conversation with tell me, and then you kind of know, oh, we're going to go deep. And it's totally safe. And no one's going to interrupt. And we're only going to say thank you. Oh, my God, safety, vulnerability, transparency, yum, great. Tell me something about you and oral sex. And you go back and forth for 40 minutes, but only get to say thank you. Or tell me something um, that you're afraid to tell me or about our sex life. Or tell me a way you like to be loved. Tell me a way you like to be touched. Tell me something that turns you on. Tell me what you want more of. Tell me what you wouldn't mind a little less of. All these questions. You can begin to get curious around sexuality and be very turned on and create such intimacy, transparency, and safety that all of your relationship can be foreplay, which is another piece that foreplay isn't how to get her hot, wet, and juicy. It's how to make her safe, seen, understood. That is actually very sexy. And it allows when you first place your hand on her, when you see her after the day, it's not right for the butt. It's not right for the nipples. It's not right for the clit. It's right for the small of the back, second chakra connection of our sexual energy. So she feels safe and she melts in your arms. So she, she can be less masculine because she's probably been very masculine all day long with the kids. If she's home at work or both. She needs you just in your presence with that hand in the small of the back, eyes penetrating her, heart penetrating her, 
senses penetrating her and your incredible sexual energy penetrating her. And she'll melt. She'll melt. She'll melt. Oh, I love that one. I really appreciate the, um, the taking the focus off of, we have to do all these things and we have to be multi-orgasmic and we have to be doing next level all the time because that, that focus on connection, when we talk about the word intimacy, I think that's something that, um, gets missed sometimes. Sometimes we use it as a euphemism for sex, like, Oh, how's your intimacy? And it's not fused sex penetrative sex and intimacy are not the same thing. They can overlap, but they're not always the same thing. And, you know, I've heard this from, um, a lot of friends who've had children like post postpartum, just connection and pleasure time. It doesn't have to be penetrative sex, but that, that softness, that sweetness, that warmth, that connection is so much of what we're all seeking in relationship in truth. And I think, again, our culture doesn't support that, or it puts so much emphasis on performance. It puts so much emphasis on, you know, even just for many of us, when we think of the word sex, we think of penetrative, heteronormative, P in the V sex. It's, it's, it's what we kind of grew up with versus sexy time. (laughs) Something I talked to my clients about is sexy time. Sexy time is time where you're feeling sexy and you're feeling connected and you're feeling warm. And the goal is not necessarily to get to the big O that can happen, but it's really about, yeah, the two of us just connecting and feeling, feeling good in our bodies together feeling good in our bodies together. And I really, I think that's a great point about, about that trap. The other thing I've noticed, and I'm curious if you can speak to this, maybe this is the third trap is that in conscious relationships, there, there tends to be an ebb and flow of connection. There are certain seasons when we do feel more close and certain seasons when we feel less close and it can, it can feel threatening to feel less close. And sometimes the, the sex is part of that. We're, we're in seasons where we're having more of it. We're in seasons where we're having less of it. And again, I think there's, I think we live in kind of a fear-based culture of, oh shit, if we aren't having sex for a while, does that mean we're never going to have sex again? Does it mean there's something wrong? Sometimes it means something needs to shift. Sometimes to your point, it means one of us isn't sharing something with the other that's really on our hearts. You know, yes. And there are kind of natural rhythms to life. We go through four seasons every year. We go through periods where the leaves are being shed. We go through periods where the seeds aren't up yet. There, there are natural flows in relationship as well as in life. And I think that's something that we're not taught about. We're sort of like happily ever after. It's always going to be the same and it's always going to be great. And it doesn't seem like that actually works in real life. Yeah, I'm in total agreement with you. Whether there's children, a second child, um, whether they're teenagers and, and we're driving them to how many practices, right? Or is helping them with homework until 11? Well, I'm exhausted to have sex now. Or maybe somebody's got a new job um, or they're really miserable in their job. There's a lot of different factors that will lead to more or less sex. But I would argue that the connection need not go anywhere. If there is a structure, which is so important, it is not romantic to have a weekly structure, but it is what builds that through line so that while the other others can ebb and flow, we still have each other's back. And it's a once a week date of connection, not of sexy time connection, but of tell me what's true for you. Tell me what's going on for you. 
And it allows the other not to make assumptions or, oh my God, we're never going to have sex again. Or they are staying late at work because they're having an affair. Like all of the things that we make up, if we have this weekly, and this is non-negotiable connection time to add a safe space. And again, a dyad format. So no one's going to interrupt each other or, or blame each other. It's just tell me what is true for you. Spend an hour. Because sometimes there's a layer on the top of our what's been spinning in our cognitive mind. And then there's a layer on our heart of what we haven't actually slowed down to feel. And then there's a layer down in our hips with our soul's truth. And most of us don't even get down to the soul's truth. We stay spinning in the mind. Or as soon as the feeling erupts, we shove it down, have a glass of wine, go on social media, say, I'm fine. But if you can have a partnership with yourself, And a partnership, if you're dating, if you're married, if you're in relationship, a structure where you go from head and you hear each other, got it, thank you, to how you're feeling, tell me more, how you're feeling, all the way down, you'll discover that you don't even know what you know about yourself. But when the thoughts are cleared away, the content in the mind is cleared away, the emotions have been felt and integrated, you clunk down into what I kind of think of the basement. And there's a truth in there when you have the blessing of being heard by another who will not judge you, who will just say, thank you. You're like, I'm scared to freak you out, but I can't do another year at this job. I need to start looking for something else. I'm going to start putting money in savings because I don't know if I'll find something right away, but this is killing my soul. I'm realizing I'm not being the dad I want to be, the lover I want to be. I'm envious of my friends who are knocking it out of the park in their work, and I've got to make a change. And I'm scared but that's my soul's truth. And then, you know, she's just going to say, thank you. Cause that's the rule. That is the connection weekly that is built trust that is built respect that is built devotion that can go through these difficult times as a team, having each other's back. That's a practice that if you're single do with yourself, look in the mirror, get out a journal, go for a walk, go into nature, be with yourself. And to do with your partner if you're in a relationship so that these other seasons and ebbs and flows don't take you off your center because you found your center within yourself and you found the center in your relationship. And when you're working with couples, are you giving them a few prompt suggestions? Tell me about you're giving them some. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh my God, I have have a whole library. I have hundreds of these questions. Yeah. yeah. And one of the first ones um, is just tell me what you like about me. Mm-hmm. we kind of forget to tell them very simple things that really do fluff up our skirt <laughs> and, yeah. and, make, and make us feel, feel better. Yeah. 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 I love that. So um, we're starting to get to time. So I'm wondering if you can take us through the third, the third trap that you would say conscious couples uh, fall into after that one, which was sort of like the pressure of having to do sex perfectly. I'm just going to say that. Yeah, exactly. The third one is around uh, trauma, unresolved trauma. I'm a very highly um, functioning and successful and make a big impact. Five and a half million views on YouTube. Like I'm doing the work. My last relationship was physically abusive for the first time in my life. And I was so ashamed that I didn't tell anybody. And so the terror of abuse, not to mention he had 30 guns, mixed with shame, really did a number on me until after 10 months, I screamed so loud, the police came and he got arrested and thrown in jail. I tell you this because 
I didn't know. I began psychedelic somatic integration therapy after that, which is the use of ketamine, cannabis, blindfolded. It's all about going into the body. I had done ayahuasca 20, 25 years ago. I I know who I am. I know what I'm made of, but I couldn't use the insights I had in tier three of psilocybin or ayahuasca into my body to resolve this trauma. I didn't know this trauma was in there. But when I went through this um, therapy, this protocol, back out of disassociation, which is what happens when a highly traumatic event happens, we leave our body. When there's no escape, you can't go to grandma's house on the weekends, there's no escape, you leave your body. Well, as this protocol took me back into my body, I saw things that happened to me. I felt penetration in my body. I smelled smells. I heard mental illness words that you made me do this. It's your fault. You like this. Don't move. The scenes came back, Melanie. It was horrific, horrific. But it was also the biggest gift because what I learned, well, one, I learned that in level four trauma, there's four levels of trauma back to zero. In level four trauma, we're disassociated. And all our body, subconsciously, the the iceberg under the water, all it knows what to do is find the next abuser to survive, find the next abuser to survive. We never stop breathing. We always look for the abuser, go to the party, find the abuser, make sure you survive them. I didn't know that was running in the background, had no idea. And so now I can forgive myself for that relationship. I can actually thank that relationship because it brought me, although in a very difficult way, it brought me to this wound I never knew I had. That would explain divorce number one and divorce number two, but it wasn't bad enough for me to actually go all the way to do this really deep work. But the other thing it did is it it allowed me to forgive myself because I've had some really nasty investors in my, in my companies who ran off with my money. I've had some work-related traumas as well as personal. So there's a thread and I'm in my fifties now, and I'm very successful here, very successful here, but there's been this through line of, I'll call it abusive men that I couldn't shake, even though I could help others. It comes back to that blind spot. I can't see my own blind spot. So I've been able to, I've gone through six series of this PSI protocol. And as I mentioned earlier, now I'm going to get certified in it. I no longer have that trauma. I am no longer attracting abusive men in the professional or romantic department. I've finally forgiven myself. Because I would blame myself. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Do that for a decade, two decades, three decades, four decades. It takes its toll on your well-being. And so I would just try to make more of a difference and work harder and work on weekends and have more couples that fell back in love and finding the one. And they were like, I just was addicted to the accomplishments because on the inside, what was wrong with me? So that's now still point, quiet, calm, resolved, home. I thought I had an intuition before, but I was not in my pelvis. My pelvis was completely numb and disassociated. My heart was wide open because it was the only kind of discernment I had. And it's obviously a much bigger field than our brain is to, to discern. But now that I'm in my hips, my soul, my intuition, my instincts are spot on. I can track my clients when they're going through these integrations, which by the way, don't require medicine. Medicine, plant medicine is helpful to feel and open the heart, but it's not even required on some of my sessions. I can track things and feel them in my body. I can feel if it's theirs or someone else's. I can feel if it's another dimension. I'm blown away by my superpowers now that I've never given up on being a student 
Never thought that I got there and now I've got it all together. I'm the master. I'm very good at what I do. And I'm always a student and so grateful for this. So the last trap of a conscious relationship, if there is a pattern going on, I implore you to be brave enough to speak to someone who will not shame you, who's been there herself, who's resolved it herself, because these unresolved traumas can lead to a lot of abuse and heartache in our life that need not be. So never give up. You're never too old. It's never too late to do all the work to bring yourself back into your body, into still point, feeling the oneness of the universe, not just when you meditate and leave, and but in your body. And I, I wanted to share that because uh, a lot of people would be too ashamed to share that. And I want to be sure yeah. that we can all have a safe place to be vulnerable. Yeah, I really appreciate you you sharing that because I I have important women in my life as well as a number of our clients that have survived domestic violence and or sexual abuse and or adult sexual trauma and I think that we we don't talk enough about what you said about the the shame that comes along with it that is I should have known. I should have seen it. I should have been smarter. I shouldn't have gone there. I shouldn't have worn that. I should have left sooner. And I, I can't tell you the number of, of men that I've worked with as well, where they've been hit, they've had things thrown at them and they've, they've stayed. And one of the, yeah, one of those, those shame elements is why did I stay for so long? How did I miss the initial part? Just the, all of the different layers of that. I, I appreciate you bringing that and, and allowing there to be space for that, because I do think it's confusing for a lot of people when it's like, how did that happen? How did I allow that to happen? How did that happen? And, and the, how did it happen? Question is really not as important as how do I integrate this? What am I going to do with this? Like you said, the, the, the resolution of the trauma and getting the right support to resolve the trauma, because that's the reason. The reason is, is trauma. It's right. not about your willpower. It's not about how smart you are. It's not about that. It's no. about body, mind and yeah. trauma. And so resolving yeah. the trauma is the, is where to put your energy and focus and attention. And every time someone speaks on this, someone else feels more permission and more allowing and more space. And, and that's something I, I think I just, yeah, want to recognize my clients for and the and the folks that have spoken up in our groups about it is thank you because every time you do that you're creating more safety in the world you're creating more space and to you as well thank you for speaking to that because you just created safety for a lot of people that that are sort of like well shit you know if she if she's that accomplished and she's talking about it maybe it really isn't my fault yeah yeah a very small part i mean simultaneously when the abusive events would happen my brain was like run my body was like unmovable it was unwavering and when i went back through the trauma therapy i was told as a little kid don't move don't talk you deserve this you made me do it so my body was not going to move and that's why we stay quote unquote too long in these relationships but it is not our fault but it is our responsibility to take ownership and do the work and give our soul and our body and our life and our relationships, the freedom and the success and the joy and the love that is our birthright. And I think that's one of the things that's so 
inspiring to me in witnessing the transformation of the men that we work with is it fucking works. Yeah. The work works. It works. (laughs) Like, you, you know, like you said, you don't need medicine. Medicine is great. You can get a lot done with it. You know, there are places you can go, but even, I mean, we don't use medicine in our work and we witnessed tremendous transformation in men. And, and it's so much easier, right? Once these things are witnessed and held with love and transformed, then the partners that I'm watching my men attract, it's just easier. (laughs) It just is easier. I remember back in the day, someone said, oh, my current girlfriend has all the same problems as my last girlfriend. The difference is she's dealing with them. Yeah. That's the difference. And so we're both in relationship with what's going on with us. And then we're really in relationship with each other. So it's not even like we get to perfect. There's no perfect, no. but it's in the open. It's part of the conversation. It's, it's included instead of excluded and the resilience and the transformation that's possible. I just, I find it very inspiring. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's true. It, it actually is true. When you do the work and you invest in yourself and you transform the people you attract changed and then your life is just easier. If you don't have to force it, you don't have to try, you don't have to do all these things. It's like you do your stuff and then everything else changes. Yeah. Yeah. It is very inspiring. I want to be aware of time, but I'll share a quick little story. I do a retreat once a year and our last retreat, there was a couple that came uh, 19 years married on the brink of divorce. But what they did differently was this perfectly imperfect wabi-sabi way of being. And there was an exercise I did at the end on the last day of the the retreat where I asked them to stand before another and say what they really appreciated about getting to know them over the last four days and what would take them to a 10 in expression. Not perfect, but a 10. And that was our training of being able to speak to the blind spot, but not judge and say, you need to stop something, but get up under them of what more they were aching for. And the woman sat in front of her husband and spoke in a way that apparently she hadn't spoken in 19 years, which is a way to get up under of what she ached for, wanted more of, rather than stopping and shaming him and shutting him down. And it broke the whole relationship open. We There wasn't a dry eye in the house. So yeah, showing up, each of them doing the work really does work. Oh, that's a great story. I'm also like, what did she say? <laughs> what was it that she was longing for? I know that's not, we're not going to share that, but it's a good cliffhanger. Um, <laughs> so if people are interested in finding out more about you, where do they find you and your work and all that? Yeah, my name, alanapratt.com. That's with two L's, A-L-L-A-N-A. P-R-A-T-T.com. And there's a lot of different resources there. An intimacy blind spot assessment. You can register for an intimacy breakthrough experience with me. There's also my podcast, Intimate Conversations, my YouTube channel, uh, which is my name, Alana Pratt, Instagram, Alana Pratt. Yeah, Alana Banana. Let me love it. (laughs) Let me love the shit out of you. (laughs) Well, thank you for being here. I I do feel inspired. And that was one of our intentions going in. So thank you for all of the wisdom and all of the work that you have done to be who you are. I, I see you. I acknowledge you for that. Thank you. Mm, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me, the depth of your listening and the blessing of speaking to your community. Thank you.